Welcome to another episode of the Exxon Magazine podcast. I am Diana, your host, and today I have a question for you. Have you ever heard about the metaverse of mindfulness? So today we have a very special guest to talk about it. Today we're going to be speaking with Nania Reeves, who is the co-founder and CEO of Trip a category-leading global XR wellness company pioneering innovative and accessible technologies that empower people to take control of their mental and emotional well-being. Speaking with Nania, we realized that actually she brings over 15 years of experience in digital distribution, video game technologies, and mobile applications development. Prior to co-founding Trip, Nania was president and COO of Text Plus, COO of Machinima, and chief strategy officer at Gaikai. Nania has also been the senior vice president and COO of Global Online at EA. Through her leadership at these previous companies, she's facilitated more than 1.6 billion in exits. And now, as the co-founder of Trip, she's going to delight us today into an amazing conversation about entrepreneurship, philosophy in VR, research, and mindfulness. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Nania, for being here today. Please let us know how are you doing today, first of all, and then how did you get started with Trip? Thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you and with your audience. And I am just, you know, excited to be building what we like to call the mindful metaverse. I believe that we're under a, we're on the verge of a major technology shift of computing moving from the hand to the head and enabling a whole new interface for spatial computing and how do you experience content in ways as opposed to just interacting with it in a 2D format. And it's been really exciting to lean into that uh, in these early days to create something that can promote wellness, a deeper connection to self. And as a an entrepreneur and also as a team, we really are excited to show up for that mission every day. Yeah, thank you so much. So what's the why of TRIP? I know you mentioned a couple of things, but what is the ultimate uh, thing that makes TRIP move with all the creations that, that you've made so far? It originally started out with me asking the question, what is the product that I want to bring to the world? I have had a very successful career in the video game industry. You know, not that many women running product and technology. I've had some good exits as an entrepreneur. I've been part of some successful teams. And so I, I was at a stage where I had the confidence to know that I can build. And I also knew that if I had an idea, I could get the support that I needed financially to build that idea. And 
it was a lot of hard work to get there. And that's really, as a woman working in technology, that's a completely different conversation. But um, so it was in that space, you know, I've been a COO, you know, running operations, tech, product, distribution, facilitating other people's ideas, contributing my own to that idea. And I really felt that I was at that stage where it was time for me to step up and be CEO. And then it's just like, what do you want to build, Nenea? And this idea to actually take some of the things I love the most. I have benefited the most in my life from playing video games. It helped give me a sense of control over my environment. I really, as a young person, found a lot of mental health benefits from playing video games. And then uh, also I have very much benefited from a mindfulness practice from a long time that I was uh, given by a mental health professional when I was 15 years old. And it really changed the course of my life. So I knew that there was something I wanted to do with those two things. And I had the good fortune of being a very early investor in Oculus. And so I was really blown away by how moving in and out of VR made me feel. And, uh, uh, you know, I was working with a co-founder at that point. We started to experiment with that. He also felt the same thing. And we went, what if we designed experiences that really helped people feel better, gave them a sense of agency over how they feel, that sense of control, uh, a, a container that allows you to feel more connected to self and maybe feel part of something bigger. And that was really the kernel of how um, we ended up, you know, pitching trip, prototyping it, getting it funded, and then actually launching it. It's been it's been really fun to also let it evolve on its own over time. Yeah, it sounds like a amazing journey to go through and uh thank you so much for sharing um all of this background because the purpose of this media also is to showcase the story behind the app we see the app in the stores but definitely sometimes we don't know what is behind or the person that is behind and what the the human journey that is behind so thank you so much really appreciating that um in terms of the company, building this type of company, I imagine might have been very, very hard. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and you're, and you're, you seem so good at pro, a product, right? Like making mm -hmm. a good product. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how do you ensure the repeat usage? Because mm -hmm. that is an important aspect of this type of business right one thing is to create something beautiful but how do we make them to continue using it which is such a great deal and, and how that is something the, the engine procedurally for this yeah thank you for asking that question because actually when we had this idea to create these beneficial experiences and it was less really about meditation and vr it was more about a catalog of moods that you could check and then see 
um, you know, how we would design an experience to make you feel more focused or make you feel calmer. And that really opened our mind up to think a little bit outside the box. And um, so with building the environments, it's um, and you're, you're building the company, it's it's important to get something out there with real people using it so you can start to get feedback. We had a lot of concepts about AI creating the experiences for you. And then what we found once we got live was that same thing that I felt as a young person playing video games, people wanted more of a sense of control over how the experience um, uh, unfolded for them. So they wanted to pick whether they uh, wanted to hear a male or female voice. They wanted to stay in longer if if uh, they felt like it. And so that's where we really started to understand that we need to give people that sense of control. So it's really important to just get something out there and start to get information back from the users on what is working and, and uh, how to evolve it. Uh, and then, you know, once you have a live active community, it's almost like the data becomes a conversation with them. You know, we can look at what are people selecting? What are they asking uh, us for, you know, consistently that we're not delivering? And you start to answer uh, and respond to those, um, that conversation, you know, become a participant in it from a product standpoint. And so, this to me, like in my whole career, I've been very product focused. It's the only reason to be an entrepreneur. It's so much fun to have an idea and work with a team that helps make it an even better idea. And then you put something out there and the users communicate in their way back to you of how it can be more awesome, which is one of the reasons why I like to work on uh, products that deal with gamers because gamers are the most vocal. They are early adopters of tech. They will tell you exactly how bad you suck, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, but they will also give you all the information you need to be better. And so it's an iterative process that we can um, stand up and then, you know, let the product and the service almost have a life of its own, uh, so operationally, you have to create that. With repeat usage, we knew at the very beginning that we couldn't, it couldn't just be an, oh, wow, and then they're done. So that's why we worked really hard to also launch a uh, a mobile app that would allow us to communicate more directly with the user in ways, uh, and you're going to see us evolve in the trip application more of the data products that we can create so you get a sense of progression and uh, reward feedback loop. We have something really exciting with how we're doing that with AR uh, because we, you know, one of the things with a mental health product is you have to be very careful that you don't put the person on a self-improvement plan. I'm very good friends with Amy Jo Kim, who's a wonderful uh, a voice in the games industry. And you know, she's also worked with how do you gamify mental health apps? And she and I always laugh because I like to call 
um, some of these implementations, I see lamification <laughs> instead of gamification. Your resiliency score is not motivating enough, right? Like it's really got to get people on a path of self-acceptance. Uh, which will lead to uh, self-care as an act of self-love, right? Yeah. I don't want to, if we only focus on self-improvement and mental health, it can be a, an ongoing, constant communication that you're not okay the way you are right now. Yeah, that's a risk. <laughs> yeah. It is the yeah. risk. And so we we thought, well, how do we innovate from that? You know, if you look at gaming communities that are really active, like Roblox, Minecraft, mm -hmm. you have the community contributing yeah. to the build out of the platform. And so that's why we acquired a community mm -hmm. uh, called Evolver. And we're now making them part of the trip family uh, and we'll um, uh, evolve their brand more and make them more visible out in the world. And, um, we want people to have a sense of purpose that they're also able to support others with their experience. Yeah, for sure. Having the community is exactly all what the what the platform needs in order to get the feedback and to actually progress based on that uh, data. So it's so interesting to explore this all about the entrepreneurial journey. In terms of growing it, what have the have been the main lessons that you've learned when you have been trying to fundraise to get funds like what mm -hmm. are the mistakes or things that you've said oh wow I wish I knew this before <laughs> mm, you know we've been very fortunate to be supported by investors and uh and I'm very grateful for that that's not the norm especially for female yeah. founders yes. and, so one of the things that I think, you know, if I were ever to give anybody early in their career any advice is one of the reasons why I've been able to get doors open for me was I was part of a, a team previously that hit a home run. They had a big success in mobile gaming and having being part of that team opened doors for me. And so, you know, strategically, especially for those of us who are underrepresented, uh, 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 in the um, uh, uh, tech community, that that's a key strategy, right? Like that's a game move to get yeah. you um, uh, in a better position to get your ideas supported. And um, but that being said, even with the track record, uh, as a woman, I've found sometimes I get held to different performance standards, you know, which can be frustrating, but I try not to let it stop me or deter me. Uh, you know, if I get angry and resentful, it actually doesn't help me keep my head in the game on how am I going to work through this. It's forced me to focus on performance and year over year growth that you can't ignore. And so, you know, where I can look at some of my colleagues who are friends of mine or, you know, my peers in the space, they can get funding with no revenue, no traction at better valuations than me. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. Hopefully if I'm super successful and I make people money, it'll make it easier for the next young woman with an idea who wants to get support, you know? So it's that Always coming back to a mission and a sense of purpose really helps push me through 
any of that unconscious bias I might encounter, et cetera. But then also, how do I strategize around it? So even when I was young in my career, I showed up with data because people wouldn't listen to me. You know, they were just kind of like, they just wouldn't pay any attention to anything yeah. I was saying. So I would show up with like, here's the test. Here's what I saw in the data. Here's the test that I ran. Here are the results. Here's what I think it can do if, if it's this idea is supported. And it got to a point where you couldn't argue with the data. So I have found in fundraising for me, that that same approach has worked, that if I show up with data and evidence, and I have one of my old bosses who's a very successful entrepreneur and venture capitalist, he said, look, every slide that you present has to be number, 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 number. He told me that early on because people will dismiss you. Um uh, even if it, it's just you don't have the background that they feel comfortable with, you know, like I'm not a Stanford grad with a computer science degree. So, you know, it's like you don't fit their what they're comfortable with. So coming in with numbers, people are comfortable with that. It reduces some of the concerns about risk. <laughs> yeah, it's more general that everybody could be related with with the numbers and that can help. Um, yeah. And look, I will say for those of us who might think they're not, you know, excited about the numbers, first of all, knowing your business is the best way to kind of get people behind you, right? Really knowing the unit economics around your business. And business math is not that hard. <laughs> you know? It's like what's coming in, what's going out and, yes. you know, a, a few ratios here and there, right? Like it's yeah. But that is how you know how healthy your organization is. And I have found that, uh, you know, my relationship with my finance lead and our communication, having financial clarity, all of that adds confidence in someone's willingness to write you a check. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So speaking a little bit about research, which is super exciting, mm -hmm. because Strip is always under this research, you know, like on, on the research foundation, which is mm -hmm. great. What has been one of the most fascinating aspects of research that you found that impressed you or that, you know, stuck there on your mind that was interesting for you to find out of actual research? Well, you know, as I mentioned, I've always been into the data uh, throughout my whole career and will often have data reporting into me so the environments can get built out the way that I like to access data. Um, so working with the scientific community and the academic community uh, uh, has been just amazing for me because it is a new thing that TRIP brought to my day-to-day my -day work life that I didn't have. I have scientific uh, neuroscience advisors that I speak to like all the time, mental health professionals. And you know, what was interesting was just to kind of open up to them humbly at the very beginning saying, I want to build this right. I don't know how to navigate your world. I would love your help on how do we collect data properly? How do we work with researchers? What 
can we say and what can't we say, you know, as far as therapy? Like, what's the right way to do this ethically, responsibly, and uh, uh, also just holistically so that what we're putting out in the world is safe and it's sound? And, you know, it was so amazing how open they were. They were excited. You know, to they said no one ever asked us this before they build the product, and I said, well, look, I have money now in the bank. Let's let's do this, and so they've been a big part of our journey. We um we look at existing research, and we base our design assumptions on research that we have vetted by people. I'm looking at one on multiplayer experiences um, that looks really interesting in the use of VR uh, to create different states of being. And, you know, it's um, it's exciting because if you can ground your decisions in, in research, then it, you know, there's still some gut though, because how do you make it exciting and beautiful and connected and engaging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is our secret sauce. And then sometimes when we're designing, we'll kind of, you know, get people to try it, see how they feel, start to collect data. And then in our app, we do ask you before and after, how do you feel? We, we created some scales in that um, with the help of our neuroscience and mental health advisors. And now because we have such a scale of our audience and we've been collecting that data, you know, in the millions, it um, is actually a meaningful body of data. We have shared de-identified versions of it with researchers um, especially during the pandemic, many of them couldn't do their dissertations for their PhDs. So they were able to access our data without any identifiable information to kind of analyze sentiment and uh, global mood profiling, uh, especially during quarantine. It was really interesting to get their um, analysis of it. So you know, I think that there are ways self-reported data and mental health and wellness is actually really meaningful. That's how most of it gets collected because it's important for you to be able to, um, uh, it's your perception of how you feel is, uh, really important. There are now opportunities to collect some bio signals, um, uh, from, uh, eye tracking, different sensors, different wearables that you can also collect in research. Um, We're looking at ways to integrate that more as biofeedback loops to the end user so that they can have a bit more agency over understanding, oh, this is affecting my heart rate in this way, or um, uh, this is what an optimal breath looks like, and here's where mine is. And, And then you know, the trifecta with any data collection is uh, self-reported, biometric data, and physiological data, and then the behavioral data. So one of the things we're doing with our product now is to start to reward the user for consistency over time. You know, there's research around if you have a mindfulness practice over an eight-week period of, you know, I think it's like 27 minutes a day, something along. You can actually increase 
gray matter. You can create new neural pathways in your brain. There's a positive impact on your brain, uh, your mental well-being, as well as your physical well-being. And so we want to reward people and incentivize them to drive those behavioral changes. So uh, it's an ever-evolving data ecosystem. And then on the research side, the um, we have, uh, uh, you know, our app is publicly available. Anybody can take it and study it. And sometimes late at night, I'll Google, you know, trip research, and I'll find a study somebody's published using our app. And uh, that's been exciting. So I, I found one online uh, where they were using it um, with adolescents uh, on, on attention uh, ADHD and over a 21 day period is a very well designed study. I found another one, uh, uh, that's in progress now on comparing trip to uh, a VR game on pain management pre and post op surgery. We just had a, um, uh, researchers in Europe working with cancer patients publish a doc uh, and, um, on, uh, mood impact. So, I'm excited by all of this. It's um, not, uh, we're not at a point though where we wanna make any therapeutic claims. It, I think responsibly, it takes a tremendous amount of evidence to start to say uh, uh, this product will do that for you. And it's, um, maybe I'm too conservative in that. I've seen some of my, <gasps> you know, other companies make some big claims without a lot of evidence to back it up. That's that's not how I work with data. That's amazing. I really, really go by your um, intuition also. That's, I think that is super great for us, like the users, because we can feel it, right? When the claim is and then when we, when we are going through the experience. So that's the safest place. Amazing. Yes, but I will, I will say what's very meaningful to us as an entire team is the user testimonials we receive and we hear regularly, this has changed my life, this helped me during a great time of need. Um, and so for us, and I get chills thinking about it, I'm just so proud that that day that I ask myself, what do I want to build? That we actually built something, not just me as the whole team, Mm -hmm. uh, but we built something that already people are saying this is helping me so much. And that was my original goal. And I'm excited for what it looks like five years from now um, uh, because of what we've been able to achieve um, uh, in these past four and a half years. Yeah, I think that the science aspect, the research is one component, which is very important. But for us, we relate a lot with the actual testimonials. So that is pretty much, you know, like the foundation for that. Yeah. I, I, there is one research that I found super interesting because I, I am building a, an experience related with this, which is VR in palliative care. Um, that's amazing. So for someone who is trying to understand how, how VR could be related with pain relief, what, what would you say? How, how does it actually work for pain relief? I think that um, chronic pain is uh, one issue that I think really requires ongoing engagement models to support someone, you know, with persistent pain. Uh, I think that applied VR has done a great job on getting um, uh, 
FDA clearance for their solution for use um, with acute pain. And uh, they, they really have set a great example of how to use VR in pain management. Amazing. Uh, the use case that we see people using our app right now in the study is they're trying to identify um, it is being distracted, uh, is, um, uh, you know, there are meditations for how to help support you to look at the pain more as sensations, and that can help you navigate um, those experiences where uh, you, you you need immediate relief. And so I think there's more, obviously nothing that we're doing should replace professional mm-hmm. care, but it should be thought of as a tool and can uh, definitely um, connect with the doctor to make sure it's right for you. Um, there's uh, in palliative care, I think there's some really amazing things I've seen. Like my friend Carrie Shaw runs a company called Embodied Labs, and she's a wonderful founder. And she um, has created kind of an experience of someone dying in the hospital and how all. And so you you as the user are are from that point of view of the person and how it feels to have all these people coming at you. You know, when you're at this transition stage that all of us will experience in one way, uh, shape or form. Uh, and I think it's a really powerful use of VR and sort of first person experience because it's not, you're, you're definitely not a spectator, right? You're really experiencing what it feels like to be in that environment. And maybe that can even help caregivers have more empathy for that, how they interact with patients. That's what her experience has done. For TRIP, our approach to these environments, uh, when you apply it in palliative care or terminal illness, uh, it's an area of investigation. We have anecdotally seen a lot of our users find great comfort and relief from our experiences at a time of, you know, great turmoil fear, anxiety. We've seen users upload pictures of themselves when they were young and healthy to remind themselves that they are not their illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just providing the tools to find create that respite for them uh, during that experience. We have in our community, uh, uh, we do have a weekly um, Q&A on death and dying. And Interestingly enough, it's one of our most popular group sessions. And I think this is because all of us are dealing with it. There's an interesting thing that happens when you're in the metaverse, and I call it a digital veil. You're in a a world, you're not seen by other humans uh, physically, but you're present and it gives you kind of this psychological safety to express very difficult emotions, mm-hmm. whether it's you as a um, person going through this or, you know, like in the case that I experienced seven years ago when my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer, you know, watching someone you love go through this is its own journey, right? You hold it all in because you're not the sick person. So using these metaverse environments, these online worlds as 
vehicles to express and share difficult feelings, allow others who have been through it to give you support in a way, or even like um, this conversation is facilitated by a death doula who can actually bring a lot of um, supportive ideas for how to navigate. I'm really fascinated by this. I think there's something there when you think about how do we use the metaverse in ways that are beneficial instead of just trying to turn us all into digital uh, twins going out shopping at virtual malls for new digital sneakers. Do you know? (laughs) Yes, totally. I'm totally with you. This is amazing. This is is out of the out of the normal world. Yes. Thank you so much. So just just to summarize here quickly, I just would like to highlight that when we are in the metaverse, we we experience this is interesting, the psychological aspect of experiencing this shift in the identity. Mm-hmm. Because now who is the defi- that we have a definition of who we are. But as you mentioned, when we go there, we are more free because now we, I might not be not necessarily this body. And this is an important yeah. mindfulness concept that we're not just this body. So totally. what virtual reality can help us in, in, you know, future humanity to evolve more than what we believe that is this body, you know, like to extend to maybe we are something else that we don't know yet. I love that, Diana, because the um, I've been talking about this a lot. You know, (laughs) when I played video games, I was many different types of characters. You know, I was one character in The Sims and I was another in Battlefield when I would play that game. And I didn't want to be me. And I didn't want that's why I was playing the games. I wanted to get away from me and my life. And. So I think that a lot of people just aren't thinking about the opportunities in the metaverse to innovate because, mm-hmm. you know, all we see are like, make your avatar look like you and it's a digital twin and you could take it shopping. And mm-hmm. like, why do I have to have even a fixed identity uh, in yeah. the metaverse? Why can't I experience new types of genders that don't even exist in the physical world? Mm-hmm. You know, we're creating this new sound experience. Mm-hmm. Why does my avatar only have two hands? Why can't I spawn off more to play new instruments that only exist in the metaverse that need seven arms to play? You know, yeah. and uh, so I think that there's a lot to explore once we can get away from just thinking about it as some you know, alternate version of what we've already built. And and this goes for the commerce models, the earning models. Like, why are we already talking about recreating all the crappy stuff that we've built in the physical world? I do not, you know, I don't know if I'll ever regret saying this. You know, this may not, um, you know, have a good shelf life, but... I really don't want advertising in trip. You know, it's uh, what, because when you have an ad model, mm-hmm. it turns your consumer, your users who are supporting you in the into the product. They yeah. become the product. And what we want to do is create the safety so they don't feel manipulated. They get a break from that. If we are 
manipulating any responses, you know fully, you've opted into it, you're in control, right? And so, you know, that doesn't mean we can't have stuff sponsored mm-hmm. by it, but even then it's like, it has to be the right way, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. so we've focused on subscription because I feel like it's the most fair business model. It's like, if we don't continue to provide value to you unsubscribe right i mean everybody knows even a child knows that a business needs to pay the people providing the service do you know but um uh so i think it's a fair exchange do you know anyway so we'll see how it all plays out but i think like does anybody want to have something on their head and get continue and be bombarded with ads uh, yeah. One of the creators I love in AR and VR, Lucas Risotto, he um, runs AR House and he uh, shared with me he was working on an ad blocker, AR ad blocker. So when you look at a billboard, it turns it into a piece of art. That's the kind of innovation. Uh-huh. We need. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's very innovative. <laughs> I know him. And uh, yeah, while we don't turn those experiences, this model that we have in this normal society, why we don't shift it for the things that we want that yeah. can make us feel more free or in control or enhance our lives, right? Well, and sometimes people don't know what they want just yet, right? Because we've all been slightly brainwashed yeah. to yes, um, accept <laughs> a lot of stuff. So can we at least give you some breathing space from that so you can start to ask those questions what do I want, right? Like I did that day. What do I want to build? What do I want to give back to? And um, we need more people doing that. We need, especially women and young females, little girls building, you know, worlds in these metaverses so they can see themselves as builders because Imagine the world where 50% of the population uh, who have been kind of relegated to support roles generally, what happens if they step up and start building too, right? Like what an amazing place. And, you know, it, it, but it has to start with that innovation mindset as opposed to just doing what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Daniel. You're welcome. My last question is going to be around augmented reality. Because I know that there was a recent uh, partnership or something like that with Lightship. Yes. And I'd like to to know, you know, like, I I took a look at one of the promoting experiences that were showcased, and I really love it. So I I like it. At what point it is? So, you know, it sounds super exciting going that Yeah, it's, uh, it's really exciting what we're doing. And this goes back to what I was talking about with that reward feedback loop. Yeah. That we want to give you an AR um, interactive um, gift mm-hmm. for taking care of yourself. And that will... Um, uh, if the device has a pass-through view we can access, mm-hmm. like the Quest does, we can okay. give it to you there. If uh, it doesn't, it, you can do it with mobile AR. If you don't have a VR device, you can interact with mindful activities and, and be rewarded. But the reward is you get to contribute to the world around you. <laughs> 
uh, and change the way that it looks. So we're building that right now. Um, we did demonstrate at the Niantic Lightship Summit uh, in May in San Francisco and working on their VPS platform. We're very excited about it. It's in development now, full steam ahead. We're hoping to get it launched in Q4 sometime of this year. Uh, and, um, uh, and, but it's going to be interoperable with all of our other experiences. So that's why it's taking a bit, uh, uh, of time for us because it's a, a complicated system. And then also if you, um, think about like game mechanics, game leveling, giving a sense. So it's not just a novelty thing that somebody will get bored with after a few times. Uh, that stuff takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of tuning. And so we are going to get something up and running sooner than later so we can start testing and evolving that. And we have some really fun ideas for how it can evolve. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. Also, for allowing the users to create their own experiences, to become the actual creators, right? Yeah, that that's longer term for us. Like, yeah. you'll see our platform as we get bigger really evolve into creating tools to help you build your own experiences. And this is why we acquired Eden from uh, one of our developers who has been working with us for a while, Zach Krausnick, and uh, he's been building this as his passion project. And it was so cool to be able to jump in to world as a team and check out the environment and build a space. So we'll start focusing on that, on uh, being more integrated into our platform after we launch the Niantic Lightship powered version of Trip. That's super exciting. It's so fun, right? Yes, it's so fun. It's so much. The time yeah. just flew because there is so much to talk. Super exciting. Thank you so much, Nania. You're welcome. How, you know, if somebody wants to get a hold of uh, you or to download the app or, you know, like to know yeah, more. Yeah, go about to trip.com. Trip.com, you can um, get access to how to um, get our app. Our mobile app on iOS and Android is available for free for download. Just have to create an account, and uh, there's some cool content on there, and it will continue to evolve. And then you can reach out to me directly on Twitter, at Nanea, N-A-N-E-A. Nanea is the Hawaiian word for peacefulness and serenity. I'm Hawaiian and Chinese and Irish and Welsh, so uh, you know, multicultural person here. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. Thank you so much for everything that you have shared. Like we can appreciate your kindness, opening up and sharing all of this amazing experience, journey, you. expertise for others to take all of this inside and try to bring to the world meaningful impactful, beautiful experiences as we were. Yes, and I do believe that business will, uh, if you do it and and you actually succeed at making people feel better and a deeper connection, it will also be a great business. You you know, it has its own energy. So I'm always kind of tuning what's my intention. And every day I check in with myself with that to make sure I 
really stay true to that mission because I know it will have a great outcome for me and our team and also our users. So thank you so much, Diana. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much and see you in the next episode. Bye for now.